you for joining us today on a virtual view. Today, I'm joined by Allie Leverson, the Chief Customer Officer of Pulseworks. Allie, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Danielle. Really happy to be here. So could you start off by telling us a little about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So as uh, Danielle mentioned, my name is Allie Leverson. I'm the Chief Customer Officer with Pulseworks. I've been with Pulseworks since about 2019, following finishing my master's degree from Northwestern University in Chicago. I also did my undergraduate degree quite a few years there prior and moved to Columbus, Ohio to work with the Pulseworks organization. Uh, so with the organization, we are passionate about bringing connectivity specifically to Medicaid recipients who need it most through our Lifeline and Affordable Connectivity Wireless programs. And really excited to share a little bit more of how we've done that over the last few years. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk about it. I think it'll be a lot of really great info for the folks in the UMTRC region and beyond. And I like that you went to school and then live in the states that we cover, the Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, and Michigan little area. So that, that's always good. Midwest is great. Although the weather sometimes is not ideal, Ohio is a little bit more pleasant than Chicago. So I have often <laughs> enjoyed the Ohio spring weather. <laughs> <laughs> and you specifically, what does your experience with telehealth in general look like, either from a professional or like a personal standpoint? Yeah, so as a personal standpoint, I've used telehealth many different times. I think the COVID-19 pandemic accelerated that. I enjoyed telehealth services, especially in Chicago, it was very much so a locked down city. And a lot of my providers preferred that. So I absolutely embraced that as a user and really enjoyed the care that I received via telehealth. From a professional standpoint, working with PulseWorks has really been eye-opening on the disparities of connectivity and even thus so telehealth services. And when I joined PulseWorks, again, that's 2019, it's right before the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic, we were primarily working on connectivity in home health care. So looking at Medicaid recipients and still how to get them connected because we recognized it as you know, an issue and something that was very much so needed both for the recipients themselves, but also the individuals that were delivering that care. Post-pandemic, or I should say during the pandemic, we observed <laughs> how much this issue was exasperated. And that became very evident in telehealth, different care providers, how we were connecting transportation services with some of these recipients as well. So through that, we really learned about how the digital divide can really eliminate a whole population from participating in some of the telehealth initiatives that were made available and expanded during the pandemic. So professionally, over the last few years, it's changed drastically. But we've learned a lot about some of those barriers of entry that are in place and how we can help alleviate it with some of the federal programs that have provided federal dollars to help bridge this digital divide. Yeah, and a lot of that's very much a work in progress, but I am excited to see where it goes. So you've touched on this a bit already, but could you tell me a little bit more about PulseWorks and what it is? So PulseWorks is committed to bringing connectivity to underserved populations. Again, I mentioned that specifically Medicaid recipients, that's where our expertise are, but I'll touch a little bit later as we talk about some of the programs, what other populations can be served via some of these federal programs that we're working with. So we believe strongly connectivity is a social determinant of health 
and well-being. Mm -hmm. We've seen that firsthand. We know that access to technology and internet access is key for our constituents and our partners to be able to deliver really reliable care and feel connected as part of the society and participate in really important programs that are out there, including telehealth and more. Mm -hmm. So our mission is to close that digital divide. We do so via really great partnerships with healthcare organizations, with community health workers, with any stakeholders all around the nation, although we are a Midwest company, that are going to work with their constituents to help them get that connectivity. So Mm -hmm. our approach is very institutional. It's very different from many of the programs that exist out there in the Lifeline and the Affordable Connectivity programs, but we're here to close that gap. We've discovered that the penetration of taking advantage of some of these benefits that make connectivity a lot easier are really not taken advantage of. So we're here to help close that digital divide. And I do like that you mentioned that connectivity is a social determinant of health, and it is so much more than that, too. It's not just affecting one aspect of people's lives now. It affects schooling. It affects work. It affects health. It's such a big part of the way that our society works now that I think acknowledging that and recognizing that can only help going forward. It's absolutely second nature to our everyday lives and almost assumed in most settings that people will have the same access to connectivity, which unfortunately is, as you mentioned, a work in progress still. Yeah, we work with a lot of rural populations. And as somebody who is a native of the suburbs, it did not occur to me until I was going out into communities that there is just such an issue getting connectivity in a lot of these places. Most definitely. I think there's so many different subsets of populations that we can examine. And really at the core of our program is recognizing that and working with our partners and the agencies and organizations that serve specific populations, understanding their specific hurdles, and then how we can build our programs around those. Yeah, it's always important to work with partners in communities. So who are some of those partners you're working with? Specifically in this region, we're working with all of the Ohio managed care plans in the state of Ohio. We're working with health plans in our neighboring states. We're working with community health organizations. We're working with community health resources. We're working with diaper banks. We're working with food banks. We are working with, I say this strongly, anyone who is willing to spread the knowledge of the federal benefits with their recipients and people, we call them trusted resources. It's people that are already interacting with Medicaid recipients every single day and that can show them the benefits of this program, how it can alleviate a very expensive monthly bill, help them connect, and then get that everyday connectivity. Because we understand there's multiple different barriers to entry. It's one, just awareness, Mm -hmm. but then the availability to enroll in those benefits as well. Right. So let's talk a little bit more about those federal programs then. So the Lifeline Wireless Program and the Affordable Connectivity Program. Can you tell me a little bit more about both of those? Sure. So I'll start with Lifeline. So Lifeline's a federal program, U.S.-based, is dedicated to helping low-income populations get phone connectivity and internet service and make that more affordable. So Medicaid recipients are universally eligible for that benefit. Lifeline is funded by the Universal Service Fund and serviced by the Universal Service Administrative Co. USAC. The Affordable Connectivity Program, or you'll hear most people talk about it as ACP, so I'll talk about that (laughs) moving forward as ACP for short. There's a lot of acronyms in this industry. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's additional federal program, and it helps many low-income populations, specifically households, pay for broadband services, internet-connected devices, other technology in the home 
for just what we're speaking about, connectivity for school, work, home internet access, whatever they need to use that, that smartphone technology and that internet for. So that is a newer program that was launched in 2022. Mm-hmm. It is funded and passed as part of the 2021 Infrastructure Act. So that replaced the emergency broadband benefits. So we're going to another acronym, EBB. <laughs> so initially it was EBB and Lifeline. Now it's ACP and Lifeline. What's important is PulseWorks combines these federal dollars so that we can provide free connectivity for our constituents, and it really is a great benefit. Again, we can talk about all the households that are eligible, but it's all Medicaid recipients and a good subset of low-income populations. So the Lifeline specifically, is that just Medicaid or is that folks outside of there too? It's outside of Medicaid too, and we are eager and willing to work with all partners that service any of the constituents and households that fall within these qualifying federal programs. So the additional qualifying programs, again, there's Medicaid, there's also SNAP, Mm -hmm. there's SSI, so that's Supplemental Security Income, Federal Public Housing Assistance, Veterans Pension and Survivors Benefit, certain tribal programs, and then your income alone can also qualify you for the benefit. So anyone that qualifies in under those federal programs or their income can enroll on our website. Very cool. And I know that this is a big question and it's okay if you don't have an answer for me, but do you have any idea how many folks in the, in the U.S. would fall under this, would be covered by this potentially? I do not have the exact number on how many people would qualify for it. I'm sure the FCC has that that information published, but I will say that what we've examined, again, the data is a little bit retroactive, so we're lagging a little bit on current data, but nationwide, a little less than 20% of eligible populations have actually taken advantage of the Lifeline program. So it differs by state. We measure state by state because the eligible telecommunication carriers are a little bit different in each state, but we've noticed is some are much lower than 20% mm-hmm. and some hover around the 20%. So there's plenty of people that still need this benefit that qualify for it. I know part of what you're doing to sort of uh, publicize are working with those community partners and going into communities and letting folks know on the ground level. And that's great. That's really useful. But how else are you sort of spreading the good word of these really great programs with the folks who are eligible? Yeah. So what we do is we will educate and train. This is actually one of my favorite pieces of my job. And I do three to four every single week. Mm Some care managers, some providers, nurse practitioners, social workers about the program, about the benefit, our enrollment website, and then how to walk a Medicaid recipient through the enrollment website. So I'm meeting with people every single week on the enrollment platform and how to help share the benefit at large. Of course, working with you, Danielle, and some of our partners and helping build the broader awareness from a marketing perspective is really helpful. But when we think about our constituents and what they have access to, we really need those people that are working with them already every single day to make the actual recipient aware of the benefit. And the reason is, is because unlike other things in healthcare, this benefit cannot be ordered for a Medicaid recipient. It can't be prescribed. The recipient, the member, the household needs to be aware of the benefit. They need to know where to go to enroll, and they need to have the technology to enroll too. So there's a few different factors involved 
that by helping our partners and our resources that are local to that community or within a health plan specifically, if they're a Medicaid recipient, do the enrollment and, and walk them through it, we know that they'll be a lot more successful in awareness of the benefit and completion of the enrollment itself too. Yeah, sounds great. And I'm sure that those folks that you're training in those communities really are the best advocates that you can have because they're so familiar with the challenges that the people within their communities are facing. Absolutely. They know the unique aspects of the community. They can recognize different obstacles, what resources they have available, where they can go to enroll if they don't have technology. Mm -hmm. They're really, really valuable resources, and we appreciate their collaboration. Whenever we're working with specifically our rural populations, we found the only way to really get substantial engagement is to work with folks within the, within the community. If you go in as an outsider a lot of the time in these communities, they're like, well, I don't know you, so I don't really want to engage with you in the same way that I would a trusted source. So I think that's a really great sort of way that you're you're reaching out to these folks. So why is it so important to consider connectivity when talking about telehealth and health equity? I know we've touched on this a bit, but could you expand on that a little? Telehealth has evolved exponentially over the last few years. And we've all witnessed that. And that's been really incredible. Technology itself has also improved dramatically over the last few years. And we saw a lot of that push due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It's important to consider connectivity in tandem with telehealth almost universally because the expense and the burden is so different based on the population that you're working with. So let's just talk about two different households. So one is a household that has a secure residence address. They're living at the same house permanently. They're able to get a home internet connectivity or they have a smartphone that they have a contract with a major carrier and it has a texting, a talking and a data plan they'll be really willing to sign on to a telehealth uh, program like I did at the beginning of my introduction and talking to my providers because I know I have that connectivity. My insurance is going to pay for my appointment or I'm just going to have a small copay and there's no additional burden or cost to me. In contrast, in many of the families and households we're working with, if they're transient or homeless, so they don't have a secure address where they haven't been able to either afford or get home internet access, or they live in an area where they just don't get great internet access. And then they also don't have a mobile technology. So if they're transient, they don't have that smartphone and they might have limited minutes, limited talk, a data plan that they pay per gig. That's really expensive. That's nerve wracking. It's challenging for that family when they don't know how long the telehealth appointment is going to take, how long they're going to stay, stay in the waiting room. And the cost of that appointment, while maybe it's 100% covered by Medicaid, it's going to be a free appointment. There's an additional burden for that family. They will not be able to connect in the same way that someone who doesn't have that additional expense on top of it. So we just have to consider these items. Like you were speaking about the rural populations. Is, are they going to have to go drive somewhere and sit in a car to be able to get good internet access to do a telehealth appointment? Or are they going to be able to do that from home? And if they're home, are they going to be able to afford it or additional burden? So you might not have the same level of acceptance across universally, across even in one city, across one population, because there's so many factors at play. So we found it very important, to, regardless of where we are, to offer unlimited talk, text, and data. So 
recipients know no matter what, they're not going to run out of data. They can be willing to speak with their healthcare provider for 30 minutes because they know they're still gonna be able to have their child access online learning if they need to, to stay home for a week for whatever reason. So there's not that burden in the back of their head that they might run out. And that's been really important for us because it can be a really, really large barrier to connectivity for telehealth and health access and then care in, the, in their daily lives. And I'm sure that impacts the quality of care too, because if you're thinking, okay, I've got to get out of this appointment within 20 minutes or else I'm not going to have the minutes left I need to like call and pay my bills, you're not really going to be paying attention to what your provider is saying. You're going to be thinking, okay, how can I end this as quickly as possible? Absolutely. And then you think about the technology itself and some recipients that we talk to say that they don't have a, a selfie cam on their phone. They might have an external cam only or they're it's broken. They're unable to turn it on. And so then you're doing a telehealth appointment. It's really just a phone call and you're losing an additional point of contact or method or visibility between the individual delivering care and the recipient of care. So it, it, there's just so much to consider and starting fresh from some of these smartphone initiatives that we're running is a, just a really good way to make sure that everyone is starting from an equal playing field. Yeah. And I do think it's really important to acknowledge the fact that so much of our communication and so much of, of healthcare now happens via like smartphones and mobile devices. I was recently at the American Telehealth Association's national conference and they were showing all of this very cool technology. And I'm like, that's great if we can get it in the hands of people and they understand it, but that's not something everyone has access to. We really do need to be thinking about, okay, how can we best get this in the hands of folks? It's really going to help. And a lot of times that's just giving them a smartphone and letting them access the existing systems through a smartphone that they maybe don't have access to right now. Yeah, and we've worked with partners, some stakeholders that have done really neat things with provisioning the phone. So we're willing to preload mobile applications and contacts on the phone before it even is shipped to their constituents and the enrollees. We have a specific institutional partner. So when that recipient gets the phone in the mail, the apps are preloaded on the phone. They can do a telehealth appointment, and then if their physician is like, hey, check my chart, I'm going to put some information in, some instructions, some helpful links, they have my chart already on their phone, and that's an additional hurdle they don't have to jump on over, they don't have to go find it in the app store, it's there, it's ready for them, and we've even put some contact numbers for member services or physician's office or what is what have you in their contacts too, so that connectivity is built in to the programs that we're, we're operating with some of our stakeholders. And I'm sure that's a great help to the folks who maybe aren't as comfortable with technology, because I do think digital and technology literacy are two things that we sometimes don't think about when we're talking about things like the digital divide and digital health equity, because you can have this device, but if you're not comfortable using it, it's not going to be useful to you whatsoever. So I really do like the idea of like preloading technology and making this barrier for entry as low as possible. <laughs> Danielle, that's a great point. We made that mistake even initially when we started sending out smartphones and that a lot of our constituents only ever used a flip phone. Right, yeah. And they had to learn how to use an Android phone. And if you're an iPhone user and you go to Android, it takes a while. You have to become comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, I'm like swiping which way, that way. How do I get to the apps? 
it's not easy. And I am a very, very advanced technology user um, <laughs> in the millennial generation. So it's something that's important. So actually what we did is we built a how to use an Android phone guide. It's very simple. It's a front and back page, one pager, mm-hmm. and it's shipped with a phone. So we allow our partners to customize it if they need it. But really the basics are how to turn it on, how to turn up and down the volume, how to connect to the internet, really basic features that will go a long way to making sure that once we do deliver a that phone in the house, that it's used regularly, and it's helpful to that user because we don't want it to become just a brick if they're unable to use it because they don't have either the knowledge or something is toggled weird and they're unable to get out of that setting because we've all been there. Right. No, and I'm sure that's great for older adults too because not to overly generalize, but I know the older adults in my life are are not necessarily as comfortable with technology just because they haven't had to use it in the past, particularly not for things like healthcare and it's become so necessary that you get a whole population where like a lot of them are just not comfortable engaging with this. Absolutely. We've been working with a lot of nursing facilities and helping their residents get connectivity because in a nursing facility, they don't have the ability to visit a wireless store quite nearly as often or at all as other recipients of the same population. So we've actually been visiting them and helping them enroll. So again, it's just understanding the populations that you're working with and helping understand what hurdles are there so you can help eliminate them, whether it's technology-wise or accessibility-wise to even getting the benefit itself. Yeah, no, that's great. So why is it so important to deliberately consider factors like the digital divide and health equity and digital health equity when building these kind of programs that sort of promote this telehealth and connectivity sort of crossover, I guess? (laughs) Yeah, so I love when people just start talking about like patient-centric approaches mm-hmm. and how we're looking at the whole person and everything that folds into their accessibility and their health care. And that's the same for te- telehealth and connectivity. We've spoke about it, you know, time and time again is Medicaid looks very different from private pay or Medicare. Rural patients look very different from urban or suburban. And within each of these subgroups, subgroups rolling out telehealth, There's just different ways to access technology and connectivity that has to be considered to be successful with a telehealth program. So we encourage anyone that wants to understand the user experience and and helping the user side of telehealth, we are all ears. We're very eager to partner with organizations and say, hey, let us come in and let us assess what hurdles that your constituents have. You tell us what you've witnessed. And we'll help on the connectivity side, because while a really great telehealth initiative might have been implemented, it can't be executed unless the proper audience has the ability to connect with us. So if that's not addressed, the digital divide will just be exasperated. And I think we do see a lot of that where there are great technology, great programs, all of this, but it's just the awareness. It's just getting folks on board with it and understanding that this is something that, hey, can really help you out. Absolutely. And taking a look at the benefit that people will receive, we've spent a lot of time of looking at all the different offers that are out in the marketplace from flip phones to SIM card only to tablets to home internet access. And our specialty is really in smartphones, Mm -hmm. again, with unlimited talk, text and data where the data can be used as internet access. So when you're working with different populations, again, if they're a transient or if they need ability to do really mobile services or have a hotspot, this is a really great solution to make sure that they have both the technology and the internet access to be able to connect with telehealth. The idea of providing someone with a flip phone is just so foreign to me now. Do they even still make those? (laughs) 
you know, I did recently read an article how it's now cool and trendy for the recent generation, like the high schoolers today, to use it kind of as an artifact. Um, I honestly, we have we have gone into nursing facilities and people have been like, "Can I have a flip phone?" They're really, really, really hard and expensive to find now because they mm-hmm. don't make them to anymore. I need to look and see if I still have my first cell phone, my Motorola Razor. <laughs> <laughs> the Motorola Razor was very cool. I had the Nokia brick, if yeah. you will, the, yeah. the walkie-talkie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. So my old smartphone aside, the future of connectivity, let's talk about that a little bit. So the future of these two programs specifically, the Lifeline Wireless and the ACP program, what do those look like? Yeah, so Lifeline's been around for many, many years. So Lifeline will be here to stay. ACP is funded for five years, and then we are already working with our teams to look at additional ways to work lobbying and the government to expand the funding and possibility for additional federal dollars. And we're very hopeful for that because we're starting to connect the two initiatives, again, healthcare and connectivity, showing that those go hand in hand are, is very much so recognized nationwide and it's supported. So we're, we're excited about the future of the programs and additional funding for initiatives like this. For PulseWorks, we've learned so much over the last few years and we've learned how to improve our program, improve our technology and improve our partnerships in order to allow more recipients to successfully enroll and be aware of the benefits. So we've custom built a new website that launched a few months ago that's healthcare specific. So our healthcare organizations can refer Medicaid recipients and other eligible households directly to that website. It's very easy to use, it takes three to five minutes. So by investing in our technology and our partnerships, we know that we're only advanced the accessibility of the federal programs to those who are eligible. And in a larger sense, so the future of connectivity related to telehealth, do you think that's something that's going to continue being a vital part of this picture as we go forward? Absolutely. I think that healthcare in general has shifted to be both virtual and in person, and people really value the virtual in tandem by working with those two approaches together we are able to improve care in so many different programs we work with individuals and and partnerships that are looking at continuous glucose monitoring and how Mm -hmm. we're doing remote monitoring maternal health and how we're supporting mothers both in an office and outside of an office diabetes self-management education there's so many different ways that from a healthcare perspective, we need to be in person with them, but we also need to help support them in their daily lives. And telehealth is going to continue to be important, to be quick and accessible, and a way for our households, our patients, our recipients to be able to receive really, really good care. So in a future sense, connectivity is only going to expand. It's only going to be more needed. And again, as I mentioned, if If you're listening and you're looking for a way to help connect with your constituents, reach out to us to just learn about these benefits and how we can work to help your members. We've heard of some really amazing partners in the past getting grant money or getting gift cards to help subsidize tablets or phones or SIM cards. And those those are really great. Those are really great programs, but they're short term. Mm -hmm. They're limited. You run out eventually. But if you look at the federal benefits and it's free to the user, it's free to the healthcare organization, it's free to the state, let's build long-term connectivity. Let's make sure that all of our recipients that are eligible have access to this connectivity so that they have a reliable phone number that you know is not going to change. They're able to contact them. You know that there's a telehealth app on that phone and a MyChart or Hilo or whatever vendor you use. 
you can connect for a really holistic health approach, it's going to go a long way. Yeah. And something you mentioned earlier about patient-centered healthcare, patient-focused healthcare, I do think that the addition of sort of virtual healthcare and telehealth is going to allow for that to be much more accessible to everyone because you mentioned all these cool initiatives with like the continuous glucose monitoring, for example. That's something where if you have this connectivity and you have these telehealth devices and things available, that's going to be very improved from the sense of having patient-focused healthcare. Absolutely. It just alleviates a lot of different burdens, both for the practitioner as well as for the recipient and helps prevent a worsening sense of health. Let's get Mm -hmm. ahead of things. Let's do preventative health. Let's look at the patient and what they need and help connect them with really great resources. And I'll give kudos to some of our health plan partners. They've made apps and contacts available on these phones that are outside what you think of a traditional healthcare. Mm -hmm. They've put transportation apps, they've put um, bus schedules, they've put social media sites, they've put really great CDC resources and education on concussions on these phones so that you can start to just think about all the different ways that we can help inform people, help keep them in the loop and, and the different resources that are out there because I am very much so in this industry, very tech savvy, but there's an overwhelming amount of information out there. So let's make it focused. Let's bring it all to them and make it a really reliable source of connectivity that can help them in whatever they need it to. Yeah. And that's really exciting to think that we're moving away from the idea of health is just whether or not you're sick. It involves things like transportation. It involves connectivity. It involves all of these different social determinants of health. And that can only help with things like preventative care, which I'm personally very passionate about going forward. Absolutely. I think you're you're spot on there. We're excited. It's a really great partnership that we've been able to secure and, and kind of create this infrastructure and network with. Well, thanks so much for joining us today and letting us know a little bit more about PulseWorks, as well as those very exciting connectivity programs you guys are involved with. I look forward to seeing how this continues to grow and develop in the future. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed being on the podcast and looking forward to connecting with many more people around the area who are looking for similar needs and wants and connectivity. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. listening to a virtual view. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Do you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss? If so, contact us at info at umtrc.org or through the form found in the show notes. Also, we'd like to give a special thanks to our editor, Tristan Yoder. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Service Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under HRSA's Office of the Administrator and the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy of or the position of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day.